So we are in this series of The Blessed Life, talking about letting God multiply the blessings uh, in our life and really bless every area of our life. How many of you would just, right at the very beginning, when you look around at your life, what you have, your family, your marriage, your house, your job, may not be perfect, but how many of you say, I am blessed more than I deserve? Let me see your hands. Everybody's hand ought to be up. Listen, if you didn't, if you're in here today and not in some hospital room somewhere, you're blessed. Come on, everybody. You got a house, you got a car, you got a cell phone. I, some of y'all would have a cell phone before you'd have a house and a car. Like you're just, there you go. Yeah, you're just blessed. You're just, we're blessed. We're blessed. We're blessed. And we're really talking about in this series how we can position ourselves to live in the, in the blessings of God in our life. And it's, it's not just about what you think it's about. It has to do with your money and your finances. But it has to do with every area of your life. Matter of fact, in week one, we talked about that your heart is really what God is after. Not after your money. Not after other areas. Of your life. He's after your heart. And the Bible says where your treasure is, that's where your heart goes. And God's after your heart. And so if you position your heart in the right place, week two, we talked about getting in the right position so that God could bless us every area of our life. The Bible says He wants to open the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you can't contain. But you got to stand underneath the window to get the blessing. Like you got to be in the right position. And we said the right position, Psalm says, is to be planted in the house of the Lord. That you could flourish in the courts of our God. That position matters. It matters how you live your life so that God could bless your life. I want to talk to you today specifically about God blessing the areas of your finances and what you have. I have two children, if you're new to City Hills. I have a six and a half year old and a three and a half year old. And they tell me about their halves. So I have to tell you that they're half years old. And if you have multiple children, let me just be honest with you. You won't be honest, but I'll be honest with you. You do more with your first one than you do with your others. You know that's true. If you're a second or a third or a fourth child, your sibling, your oldest sibling, got to do stuff you never did because your parents are tired. They don't love you any less. They just can't do everything with two of y'all. They used to do with one. Where y'all add on that all the parents. You know that's true. And they kind of bring it all the time. We feel bad. I know there's going to be a day Henry listens to this message, so I feel bad. I apologize to my second born. Because there's some stuff we did with Hazel just because it was one and it was easier. Some of y'all got three or four kids. Don, I don't know how you do it. I don't know how you live. I don't know what, I don't know, something's wrong with you. I don't know how supernaturally you have that many children. But when it's one, it's easier. And one of the things I used to do with my little girl that I found it hard to do with too is I used to take my little girl to Chuck E. Cheese. Where's all my Chuck E. Cheese people at? I grew up in, in uh, I'm a child of the 80s, grew up in the early 80s and 90s. And Chuck E. Cheese was called Showbiz Pizza. Y'all remember show, when it was Showbiz Pizza? Everybody remember that? And there was this little rat, this little mechanical rat. Like, in the deals freaked me out, scared me to death. But anyway, they rebranded Chuck E. Cheese now, and it's still nasty. We don't take Henry because he would lick every game in there. But anyway, it's still nasty. It's still a hotbed for germs and flu and, you know, all, all kinds of ridiculousness. But I used to take Hazel and uh, my, my little girl, and we would go alone. Mama wouldn't go with us because she's scared of those kind of places of all the germs. She just would rather not know about it. And so Hazel and I would go together, and I love Chuck E. Cheese because it's like this indoor amusement park. If you've never been, there's these tiny little games that mean absolutely nothing, and you can live like an absolute king. And because I'm rich, I would buy my little girl $5 worth of tokens because, you know, $5 can make you feel like a king in Chuck E. Cheese. And you play all of these little games all the way around, and she would come back with these little tickets that you get when you play the games. Do you know what I'm trying to tell you? You know what I'm saying? You get these tickets, and, you, and, you, and the, the point of 
The whole day at Chuck E. Cheese is not the pizza because it's terrible. It's not even the game. The point of the day is the tickets. It's you get a lot of tickets. And it didn't take me but a visit or two to realize I'm as addicted to these tickets as my little girl. As a matter of fact, I had to tell her, baby, you're dropping tickets. Keep your head in the game right now. There's tickets everywhere. So one of the the best things we would do, I'm embarrassed to tell you this, but I'm confessing to you now, is we would find the little dumb kids that didn't know that the tickets came out and we would go behind them and get their tickets when they walked off from the game. You're laughing because you've done it too. You're like, baby, just look over there. Just stand right there. Daddy's got some tickets. And, I'm there. and some little kids walked off. And, I, the, and the more tickets I got, the more addicted I became to it. Because you, you pile up these tickets and you take them to this treasure trove. Of, it's just a giant thing of little bitty, just trash, nothing. I mean, it's just little just trinkets and stuff that, you know, you have to pay $100 worth of games to get, you know, a Starburst or something. You trade it in for nothing. But my little girl thinks it's the best thing in the world to trade in these tickets. And I got so excited along with her. I'm grabbing tickets and I'm giving them to her. And she's grabbing tickets. We have $5 and $10 and $50 later. I would come home with my head hung in shame to Brandy that we got Starburst for $50. But it wasn't about the games. It wasn't even about the, it was about the tickets. It was about, I, the money's flying everywhere. I got 47 million tickets. And I feel like the king of the world. When you go to that counter and you got tickets piled up like this and you lay them on that counter, you feel like king of the world. And you just kind of stand back like you're in the club and you're just making it rain tickets everywhere. Everywhere. Tickets are everywhere and I'm trading them in. And I want to tell you that when you grow up past six years old that you stop worrying about piling up tickets but I don't think that we do. I think that when you grow up, it's kind of the same way. You think to yourself, if I can get these little pieces of paper that are green and stack them up, then I'm king of the world. That I can put my trust in, my hope in, that it will make me happy the more tickets, the more money I get, the more pieces of paper that I have, the more of these little things that I collect, the happier I'll be. I can buy some happiness at the store if I have more tickets. You understand what I'm trying to tell you? If I have more stacks of money. If I I need enough tickets, I need enough stuff, I need enough money in the bank that I can be happy. The problem with all of that is that tickets and wealth and money is deceitful. It it, it promises you something that it can't deliver to you. Stacking up money as an adult promises you happiness and security and fulfillment. And only God can give you that stuff. But money sort of makes you think the more tickets you have, you know, the more you pile up of it, the happier you'll be. The more contentment I'll have, the, you know, the more, the, the more my life gets better if I just get more tickets. Now, y'all don't have to amen that, but that's the way that I lived my life and some of you have lived your life at some points in your life. That if I just get more, and, and, and in this series of the Blessed Life, we've been talking about how do I submit everything in my life to God so that He can bless it. Not just my money, but my time and my talent and you know how God created me, the gifts that God gave me. How do I leverage everything I have to give it to God? Because where my treasure is, where my money is, where I put my stuff... My heart follows. That's what the Bible said. My heart follows my treasure. So if God wants my heart, i got to offer Him my money. i got to offer Him what's in my hand. All of my tickets have to go to God. Because they can't buy happiness. 
And, and, and when we talk about money in church, I have to, I, I have to tell everybody to take a deep breath because we don't talk about it a lot, but we do talk about it here because the Bible talks about it and because our world's obsessed with it. Because we are a ticket-collecting kind of society. Where people, well, the enemy will tell you if you get more, then you get happy. And, 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 you, and you find fulfillment and you just get. But listen, I just want you to know this about God in the very beginning. God does not want something from you. God wants something for you. He doesn't, it, it, listen, God does not want your money from you. It's not about your tickets, everybody. It is about God wanting to bless your life. But in order for God to bless your life, you have to put everything in your life in His hands. I have my, my, my little boy is a I can do it myself, daddy kind of child. Do you have a child like that? I can do it myself. I want to do everything by myself. The other day he said, daddy, can you fix this? I said, yeah, and I took it from his hands, and you, it, it, the meltdown that proceeded was like I had ripped his two arms off of his body. I said, son, I can't fix this if you hold this, but I, I want to hold it. Well, it doesn't work that way. I can't fix it if you hold it. Listen to me. God can't fix what you hold on to. As long as I've got my marriage and I'm controlling it and I'm in charge, then I can't blame God when God's not answering the prayer of fix my marriage. i got to give it to God. When, when I hold on to my money, it's all mine, I'm in control, it's all about me, then you can't blame God when you can't understand why God's not. you got to give to Him what it is you want Him to bless. Shout amen to that. So here's the question I want to ask you. Do you think money's evil? No. No, not, money's not. Matter of fact, the Bible said God gave you uh, money. First Timothy said He gave it to you so that you could. He provided everything for your enjoyment. Like God wants you to enjoy what He's blessed you with. I want you to. I want this church to be blessed. I want your homes to be blessed. I want you to have a nice outdoor grill and pit and smoker that you can put a brisket on and call your boy, me. I want you to be blessed. I really do. And God wants you to. Get, there's nothing evil about. Money in and of itself. Money isn't evil. Listen, what happens is it's not about having it. It's when it has you. It's not about, the, it's not about what I have. It's about what I serve. Here's, here's the scripture that I want you to see today. And this is, this is the hard part. And this is kind of where we're going to go today. Matthew 6. Problems start arising in your life when you start serving money and not God. Because no one can serve two masters. Jesus is talking here. Nobody can, this word serve also can be interpreted worship or love or trust or put their hope in. Nobody can trust or serve two masters. Either you'll hate the one and love the other or you'll be devoted to the one and despise the other one. You cannot serve God. You can't worship. You can't trust God and money at the same time, the biggest shift in my, in my faith walk really happened early in my 20s when I started looking at God as the God of both and, that you could, have, you could, have both, you could be spiritual and be relevant. You, you, know, you, you, could, you could meet in a movie theater and still have you know, the Holy Spirit poured out. I mean, it, it, you, could do, you could do both. But there's some stuff in the Bible that you can't have both and. It's either or. It's either this or it's this. And this is one of those things. The Bible says you either are going to love, trust, serve, honor God. You're going to put your hope in Him. Or you're going to love, trust, honor, serve, put your hope in your money. But you can't do both. And problems start arising when we put our hope, trust in Money, one translation, that, this, that money here is actually the word mammon. Jesus used the Aramaic word mammon. 
And most scholars believe there was a Syrian god of the day that they would worship called Mammon, who, 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 was, the, who was the god of like material things. It wasn't necessarily just money, it's riches and stuff and wealth. And I put all of my hope in this stuff and something very significant is going on here. It's not just about having stuff, it's about worshiping at the feet of wealth. Now listen. What's, what's crazy about this particular passage is this is 2,000 years ago without Instagram. This is when the only way that people knew you were rich is if they came by your hood and saw your house. You know what I'm saying? Now we have Instagram and we can fool people into thinking we got something we don't have. We can brag about stuff we don't even own. None of y'all but people in other churches that I know about. They'll, they'll post pictures in the dressing room of clothes they ain't even bought yet. To impress other people like they're about to buy that. I know you, girl. You ain't bought that. You put it back on the rack. But we, 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 we find our hope and our identity and our Imagine the kind of society we live in. Jesus is telling them in this society you can't do it. And this is a very countercultural idea in our society. That you can't love and trust in money. You can have it. You can be blessed by it. But you can only have one, number one. Would you write that in your notes? Come on, take good notes today because all people who go to heaven take notes. I don't know if everybody who takes notes go to heaven, but everybody in heaven has taken notes. That's a fact. It's in Revelation somewhere. You could, It's not. I made that whole thing up. You can only have one number one. You can only have one number one. You, you can't have two. You, you can't have two number ones. You can only have one. And so the Bible, listen, God and, and your relationship with God is not linear. You can't. It can't be. Well, that and this and this and this. Your relationship with God. There is a. There's a. There's a first. That something's got to be above all else. The Bible says, "Seek the kingdom of God. Seek first His kingdom, and His right." There's a first there. You can't have two number ones. You can only have one number one. Either God is number one, or your ability to earn money and wealth and your security and my stuff and my house and my car and my money is number one. But you can't serve both. First Timothy says it like this. This is a, a very misquoted passage in the Bible. The Bible says the love of money, not money, but the worship of, the love of, the serving of, the trust of money is the root of all kinds of evil. You want to know where evil in the world comes from? The old saying says it like this. You just follow the money. You know what I'm saying? You want to know where wars are started? Some of it's over politics. Most of it's over money. Most of it's over who, who's controlling what oil fields or money. Because the, all kinds of evil comes from the love of money and trusting money. And In my life, listen close, when, when there's evil that comes out of my life, a lot of the times you can trace it all back to me wanting more. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money, here's a sad truth, have wandered from faith. And pierced themselves with many sorrows. Not because they had money, because they worshiped money. Not because they were blessed. Not because they had a nice home, nice car, nice jobs, nice income. But because they felt like that's where I could trust and I could put my hope in that. It's not about having, it's about serving. Shout amen to that. It's not about having, it's about serving. So let me give you three things. That people that trust and love in their money. Listen close. Three things that people who trust and serve and love money 
Here's what's true about them. Number one, write this down. They never have enough. People who trust and love and serve money never have enough money. Because it's a moving target. They never. I, I read about. I read about another pastor who, who, who had the opportunity who ha, to have lunch. He shared a meal with a billionaire, like someone who was who, who had earned and was his net worth was over a billion dollars. This pastor was just you know super honored the opportunity to you know, sit down with this highly successful businessman who who was a billionaire, and and he re, retold the conversation of the book that I was reading. Retold the conversation that they had. It was so interesting to me in this conversation the, during the discussion the pastor had with this billionaire. They talked about uncertainty. And the billionaire kept bringing up how stressed he was that anything could happen any day. The market could crash. Things could go sideways. Listen, everything could go. And I thought it was so interesting. Listen to me. If a billionaire's worried about losing it all, you and I better pack up our hopes. You understand what I'm telling you? Like we, we don't have a lot of hope in this world. You know what I'm saying? Because it's never enough. It's never enough. People who love and trust and serve just money, they never have an, it's a moving target. Uh, ultimate financial stability is never enough. It's never going, the Bible says it like this, Ecclesiastes, whoever loves money never has enough. I didn't say that, the Bible did. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves, worships, trusts, wealth is never satisfied with his income. I remember when, you know, you're just married, you start sort of making these invisible lines, you know. It's just this moving target. If my stack can get big enough, if I can just get enough tickets, I'll be safe. I'll be secure. I'll just, it's a moving target, though. It's just, it's never enough. If you live in an apartment, you want a house. If you have a house, I want a house with a gate. I want to live in a gated community. If you have a house in a gate, I want a gate with a guard. I don't just want a gate that stays open all the time. I want a guarded, gated community. I want a house in a guarded, gated community, but I don't just want a guard and a gate and a house. I want walls. I want big, giant walls so nobody can see me. I want to look important. I want walls with ivy all over them so people go, I wonder who lives back there behind the walls, with the gate, with the guard, with the house. But when you get a gate and a guard and a house and walls, then I want acreage. Everybody I want land. You know, I love this little house. But I just wish I had some land. I just wish I had about 10 acres just out in the country somewhere. I know I will. Because it's never enough. Because it's never enough. The apartment wasn't enough. The house wasn't enough. The house with the gate wasn't enough. The house with the gate with the guard wasn't enough. The house with the gate with the guard with the walls. Because it's a moving target. Because people who put their love and trust in money never have enough. There's always this moving target. I'm not telling you you shouldn't want. I want a house with some acreage. I want a horse. Come on, somebody. A couple of horses. I can't ride them, but I want just to say I have horses. <laughs> I want, I just, I want, I, come on. I, 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 like, there's nothing wrong with you have, if you have horses and acreage. I want, I want you to be blessed. I, I really do. But listen to me. This is about where you trust that stuff. If you love it and trust it, it's never enough. So many of us, the truth of the matter is, your income today is larger than your parents ever was. Is that true? You live on more today than your grandparents did their entire lives. And it's never enough. We just never seem to have, if I make this, we used to make these lines, Brandon, when we first got married, you know, you sort of set this line in the sand, you go, if I can just make, and then you say a number, if I can just make this much money, girl, we're going to eat out every day, it's Whataburger all day, every day, you hear me? 
And then, and then you make that much money, and you eat Whataburger every day, and you're like, girl, if we can just get out of this Whataburger, you listen to me, we're going to go to Chili's every day. It's Chili's. We only get, it's Bernie. We got Chili's and Whataburger. We're going to, every day, that's all we're going to do. And then you make that much money, and you go, and then it's never enough. You keep making these invisible lines of income, and the moment you cross them, it's still not enough. You know that's true. And then you look back over your life and you think, how did I ever live on that? You ever done that? (laughs) You ever look back over your life and think, how did we ever make it? You just made it. But it's never enough. And if you love and trust people who put their love and trust in money, your stack can be bigger. Come on, you can have more tickets. But it doesn't mean you have peace. As a matter of fact, the second thing, people who love and trust in money, they have money in the bank. People who put their trust in this, they have money in the bank but no peace in their heart. Many of them, it doesn't matter how much money you have, it doesn't make you sleep well at night. Come on, somebody. It doesn't give you peace. It doesn't fix your marriage. It doesn't fix your children. You can have money in the bank with no peace in your heart. Proverbs 15 says it like this. It's better to live your life with little and the fear of the Lord than it is to have great wealth and not be able to sleep at night. It's better to have a little and, and, and the fear of God in your life and know that God's your source and not this job, this money, this husband, this house, this acreage than it is to have great wealth and worry that you could lose it every day. If I was writing Ecclesiastes, here's the way I would write it. I, I didn't write the Bible, but if I did, I would say it like this. It's better to have a pinto with peace than a Mercedes with misery. Come on, somebody. Y'all didn't even know I was a poet. Y'all didn't know that. Y'all better, y'all better back up on me. Y'all cannot sleep on me. It's better to have a car. You know my favorite car. Somebody asked me one time, what's your favorite truck? I drive a Ford truck because I pastor in Texas. You got to drive a truck if you pastor in Texas. So I have a Ford truck. Let me tell you my favorite car. You listen to me. My favorite car isn't Ford or Chevy. My favorite truck is a paid for truck. Where y'all at on that? That's the best one. That drives better than all of them. Because it's better to have a little in the fear of God than it is to have a Great wealth with turmoil. It's better to have a 12-inch black and white TV with antennas and aluminum foil on it. Come on, somebody. Than it is to have an 88-inch LED curved smart 3D 4K ultra TV and not be able to sleep at night. Because GBTC is terrible anyway. You can't get no better. You're not going to get any better reception with all that TV. It's just better. Because you can have more money in the bank and no peace in your heart. Uh, it's it's better it's better to have one pair of flip flops than it is a, a ladies. I'm an equal opportunity offender. Come on, somebody. It's be, it's better to have one pair of flip flops than a closet with a hundred pair of shoes and not be able to sleep at night. It's better. You ever walk? We have a walk-in closet at home. It's not big, but we have a, we have anyway. We have a walk-in closet, and I'll go in there and I'll look around. Y'all never do this, but I'm a sinner, so I walk in there and I will look around. And I'll go. I've got nothing to wear. You ever do that? And it's stacked from top to bottom. Now listen, when I say that, I really mean nothing fits. That's what I actually, I mean, I mean none of this fits. That's what I actually mean. But the Bible said it's better to have just that one, like just get you just one pair of shoes. Just that one, it's better to have one thing of the fear of the Lord than it is to have great wealth. Listen, you can consume everything you've got and have no margin and still want more. You can live your life thinking that this thing will give you peace and that thing will give you happiness. You can have all the toys you want. You can have the look you want, the income you want, the house you want, and not be satisfied and still be miserable and still be stressed out because the enemy's tricked you into believing that the size of the stack of your tickets will buy you happiness. And you can have money in the bank and no peace in your heart. Here's the third thing. People who love and trust in money 
they find it increasingly difficult to give big. Statistics say, studies say, when you look at this sort of stuff, I looked at this sort of stuff. Studies say that people who are the top wage earners, the top 1, 2, 3% of wage earners in the world give the bottom percentage to charity. The people who are low income to middle income give the largest percentage of their income away. Because when you have more, it's increasingly difficult to give big. Because you've put your trust and your and your love and, and your hope in the stack that you've built. And you start believing that that thing is your security and I can't give it away. When you don't have a lot, it's easier to give a lot. Come on, somebody. You know what I'm saying? When you, when you, when you look at your house and you realize, you know what? God gave me all this anyway. It's easier to be generous and to give big. But people who put their love and trust in money can't give big. They find it hard to give big. 2 Corinthians 8 says, out of the most severe trial. I love this. Paul tells his story. He said, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy, he said, there is a church with extreme poverty, and yet they welled up with rich generosity. He said, let me testify, let me tell you the story, that they gave as much as they were able, and then they gave above, like beyond their ability. Why? Out of extreme poverty, they gave more, because their love and trust wasn't in what they had. Their love and trust was in God. People who love and trust in their money find it increasingly difficult. People who are rich find it hard. They struggle with it. Not because we don't feel like we don't have enough. It's because we feel like I need more. If I just had more, more house, more car, more income. If if I had this much money in my savings, if I had this much, then everything would be. It's crazy how so many people think that more money is is the answer. You listen to me. Look at me in the eyes. More money is more problem. Not even more. You take the R, you can't even afford to buy an R or an E. Mo money is mo problems. You hear me? It's more problems. You find it increasingly difficult to give. The people who are the most generous are people who go, you know what, God? I, I, all this comes from you anyway. I, 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 people, and, you, and you may can relate to this tension, honestly. You may relate to what if I spend, what if I, I've been deceived that if I live generously or give, then my stack will go down. That I can't, I got all these tickets stacked up, and if I give, if I'm generous with this, then what do, how am I going to live on a lower stack? Some of you have heard this about tithing. You may have heard people talk about tithing, and you can relate. I know about it, that 10% belongs to God. I'm returning that, and, and I know it's right. I know God blesses people who tithe. I love the Bible. I love my church, but I got to build my stack, and I can't afford to give. I don't know what to do. I love this person. I want to be able to be generous to them. I wish I could just bless them, but what would happen to my stack? If I take away, if I just write a check today and bless them, what happens to my stack? They find it hard to to be generous even though they have more because my love and trust is in that. So let me tell you what happens to the other side. What happens if, if there the, the three things that happen when people love and trust in their money, and there's only two options, you can't do both. It's either or. You'll either love and trust money or you'll love and trust God. What is it that, that identifies people who love and trust God? This is my hope for you. I want you to live this way. Proverbs 3 and 9 says it like this, that we honor the Lord with our wealth. That we honor the Lord with our wealth, with everything that I have. Because you're blessed, I'm honoring the Lord with everything that I've got and 
with the best part of everything I produce. Honoring the Lord with your wealth is everything. That's the first thing that you got to do. The second thing is the best part of everything you produce. That's your tithing. The Bible said this is how we're going to live our lives. Three things that people who love God, trust in God, not in their money. Here's three things they do. Write these down. Number one, they honor God with their money. We honor God with our money. And, and primarily, we start this way with tithing. If you're new to church, I want to demystify it. If you've never heard about it or talked about it or heard anybody present it correctly, let me tell you what tithing is. Write this down. Tithing is a test. Tithing is a test. And it's not a test about your money. It's a test about honor. It's a test about trust. Do I trust God enough that if I'm generous with God first, if I give Him the first, Do I have enough left in my stack? Tithing is a test of trust. It is not about your money. It is about your heart. God, I I don't know if I can do this. God, if I take the first 10% of what I earn and I'm generous with God's house, how am I going to live on 90%? We're barely making it on what I've currently got. Tithing is a test that says I'm going to trust God to provide when because my trust really isn't in this stack anyway. Honestly, the stack I got is not enough anyway. So I'm going to trust God first. Tithing is a test. Tithing comes from Leviticus 27. says it like this, that a tithe of everything from the land, this is the first time you hear that, a tithe of everything, Everything that you produce, whether grain from the soil or fruit from the trees, listen to me, belongs to the Lord. It's holy to the Lord. It it doesn't even belong to me. A tenth of everything I have, that's what tithing means. A tithe literally means just one-tenth. The first 10% of everything I've got belongs to God. So God comes to you and He says, I want to pour out blessings on your life. I want you to give, I want to bless you everything that you have. I want to give you everything, but I'm reserving everything that I've given you. I'm reserving a tenth of it, a tithe of it belongs to me. Now this is God speaking and He uses a crazy word. That it belongs to the Lord. In other words, it's His already. You listen to me. You don't pay your tithes. You pay your light bill. You pay your gas bill. You pay your rent. But when it comes to tithing, you don't pay tithe. You return to God what already belongs to Him. Shout amen to that, everybody. Because it belongs to God already. If you're a technical person, it belongs to Him anyway. I'm just returning what belongs to Him. I'm returning the, 10, the, the, the first 10% of what God has given me. God, this is all yours. God, on Friday, on every two weeks or whatever I have, I'm give, I grew up in the country in Arkansas. This is a truth. This happens to this very day in, 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 the, in the church I grew up in. If, if they grow a garden, they'll bring 10% of the first harvest to church. That's a truth. Anybody ever grow up like that? I, I, I saw it my whole life because there's a principle here. Tithing is not about your money. It's about, God, this belongs to you. I'm giving you this because it belongs to you. And tithing has a purpose. Listen, the purpose of tithing is not to punish you. The purpose of tithing is to test your trust. The purpose of tithing is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. That's what your Bible says. That the purpose of tithing is to look at the stack of tickets you have. Are you all still awake? Shout amen. So look at the stack of tickets and go, God, I don't trust in any of this. I'm trusting in you. This is, God, you gave me all of this to bless me, to provide for me, to bless my home. 
but I don't trust in this. So I'm going to take the first 10%, my tithing. It belongs to you. I'm going to bring it back. I'm going to return it to you. And then with everything else that I got, I'm going to honor God with everything else. Because the Bible did not just say in Proverbs 3 to honor the Lord with your tithing. It said to honor the Lord with everything you got. Listen to me. If I let you borrow my car, I want you to take care of 100% of it, not just the back bumper. You know what I'm saying? I don't want you to just take care of 10%. You can't tithe and then go take 90% of your money and go to the club and make it rain every week. You know what I'm saying? It ain't going to work that way. You can't go to the tracks and bet all your money on horses, the other 90%, and expect God to bless it. you got to honor the Lord with everything that I've got, everything that I've got. Proverbs 3 and 9 says, If you'll honor the Lord with your wealth and your tithing, the best part of everything you've got, then God can bless you. Then your barns would be filled with grains and your vats will overflow with good wine then everything I got can be blessed because I honor God with my wealth. Are you still awake, Shell? Amen. You still love me? Say amen. I want you to live a blessed life. And people who love and trust in God and not their money honor God with what they have. Here's the second thing they do, and we'll hurry. People who trust and love God and not money practice strategic generosity. That's an interesting word, and I picked it on purpose. Strategic generosity means I'm going to be generous but I'm not going to be generous with leftovers, not after the fact. How many of you have dogs? Let me see all my dog people. People go to heaven that love dogs, people that love cats. Well, you know. Dog people are funny because they'll go eat somewhere, and, and you'll, you'll eat a steak, and they'll say, hey, don't throw that away. Let me take that home to my puppies. Anybody ever do that? <laughs> yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Let me do. Listen to me. You don't, you don't give God leftovers. He's not a puppy that you go, if I got anything left, God, I'm going to take care of you, okay? Because I love you, okay, buddy? I'm going I'm to do that. If, I, if anything's left over at the end of the week, God, I'm, I got you. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm going to be strategic in what I've got. I'm going to be intentional with my generosity. 2 Corinthians 9 said that every man should, decide, should give what he has. Everybody say this word out loud. Come on, say better than that. Say Say decided. Every man should give what he has already decided in his heart to give. It's why, it's why in this church we never put pressure on you to give. It's why I'm never going to manipulate you with sad stories into giving. I'm going to give you vision. I'm going to talk about how your money changes the world. I'm going to talk about how what we could do, we can do better together. But I'm never going to manipulate you because you shouldn't give out of reluctancy or compulsion manipulation. You know when you get happy giving? When you've already decided, I'm going to be strategic. God, I am strategic in how I give. If you look at my budget, Brandy's budget, you look at our lives, you will see that God comes first. It's the first thing we do. You look, look, look into my eyes. Before we pay the rent or feed our children, God comes first. Now some of you are going, that sounds crazy. Why would you, uh, you know, what are you going to do? Here's the reason why. Because this is not about money. I trust God that if he comes first, he's going to take care of my babies. He's going to bless my home. And so help me for, for, for almost 40 years of my life, now 20 years in ministry, not one time, not one time when I put God first that he ever failed me. Would you testify that that's happened to you? Every time I put God first, it always comes through. I'm intentional about it. I'm going to scheme on how I can. I'm going to be strategic in being generous. People who love and trust God and not money, they're strategic. Here's the third thing. Henry, come play to rescue these poor people. People who love and trust God. People who love and trust God and not their money. They live with a generous perspective. They live with generosity in mind. I love this kind of people. This kind of people you are. It's the kind of people this church is. 
to the people who, who, who the vast majority of this church, and I, and I love this church because of this, is that you live with a generous perspective, always looking for, Proverbs 22 says it like this, that there's some people who have a generous eye, and that they will be blessed, for he gives of his bread to the poor. You want to live a blessed life? You've got to have a generous perspective. I'm not looking for how I can do the minimum. I'm looking for how I can be generous to God's house and to God's people and to people all around me. We have eyes for all sorts of things. Some people have good eye for fashion. Some people have a good eye for decorating. You know, some people have a good eye for food. That's kind of me. Anyway, whatever. I want to have a good eye for generosity. I want people to look at my life over, over the course of my life and I want them to go, you know what? <laughs> Everything he had, he leveraged. You leveraged everything you have. I want to leverage every gift I get. You listen to me. When I die at my funeral, y'all all going to be there and thousands more. All of y'all going to be. I don't know who's preaching it. Probably Miss Brandy. I want y'all to say that joker went down tired. You hear me? <laughs> Jose, when I, when I get out of here, I'm going to go down tired. I'm not going to have one thing left on the field. Not one. I'm, everything I've got in my life, I want to say, God, how can I leverage what you've given me? God, I'll leverage everything in this life. My gifts, my talents, my finances, this house, my cars, my whatever I got, God, I'm a, I want to spend it all being generous because this world is going to burn up, everybody. That house with that gate and that garden, that acreage is going to burn up. And the only thing that lasts is what I've done to make a difference. How generous I can be. I want you to have an opportunity to be generous. I want you to look for reasons to be generous. It's why when you leave, we have, we have acts of generosity cards that I keep in my truck. And on one side, it says here, something extra to show you God loves you. On the back side, it tells you a little bit about who we are, that we, that we love you too. And I'll go through the drive-thru at Whataburger, and I'll tell the girl, I want, I want to pay for the car behind me. But the only way I'll do it is if you give them this card. And, and, and I'll give them a card that says, you know, something extra to show you God loves you. Why? Because I always want to look for, gen I, want to, I want to have a generous perspective. I want to look for ways to be generous. Because First Timothy says it like this, that if I'll command those who are rich in this present life to do good and to be rich in good deeds and to be generous and willing to share, and if you'll live your life this way, then you'll lay up treasures for a, for, for a world to come. And so that you will not live paycheck to paycheck, listen, so that you can take hold of life that's truly life. I want you to live blessed. I want you to have a blessed life. Because the God that we serve is a generous God. The Bible says it like this, that God so loved the world that He, He didn't take, He gave. I want you to live that kind of life of giving.